As we read 2 Samuel today, it's unfortunately another harrowing account, um, this time of David's son Amnon and David's daughter Tamar. But before we look at that, let's remind ourselves of the gentleness and justice of David's greater son, Jesus. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 15. Matthew chapter 12. A large crowd followed Jesus, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Okay, now let's read from 2 Samuel. It's chapter 13. We're starting in. So 2 Samuel chapter 13. And these events took took place a thousand years before Jesus. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister, Tamar, that he made himself ill. She was a virgin and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Why won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, your brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said, I'd like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread. But he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. 
Great if you could, if, sorry, it would be great if you could uh, keep your Bible open uh, at that passage. Uh, but before we get there, I want to tell you about one of my heroes. Her name is Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, she is a survivor of uh, sexual abuse herself uh, and uh, very courageously uh, spoke out uh, very, uh, against her abuser and went to court and had to testify and so on. And since then, uh, she's been an incredible advocate uh, on these matters. Uh, so I just want to show you uh, a brief video of uh, Rachel, and then I'll say a little bit more. In August of 2016, I saw a newspaper article that outlined how USA Gymnastics had been systematically covering up sexual abuse in its member coaches, and I knew right away, this is it. Now is the time because for 15 years I had been waiting to shine a light on what my abuser was doing in USA Gymnastics. And I filed a police report, and what unfolded over the next several years was incredible, and it changed the world. But the real story is what it took to get to that point, the healing that had to be found, the ability to hold to what is true, regardless of what anyone else says, and how my faith led me down both of those roads into a courtroom where I was able to forgive my abuser and yet pursue justice in its fullest form. Okay, so Rachel is a follower of Jesus, uh, and that is what enabled her. I don't know if you captured her words at the end. She was able to forgive her abuser uh, and yet plead with the judge for justice to be done in its fullest form. Uh, and she, she was able to do that in a way where, she, where neither was compromised. Forgiveness uh, and yet justice against the perpetrator of this abuse uh, to be followed through. Um, I asked her permission to share the video with you today. Uh, and uh, she sent a lovely uh, email back to me and said that she will be praying for us uh, as a church family as we work through these uh, difficult passages today. Uh, I want to say the passage we're looking at is, is not difficult to understand, but it really confronts us with the horror of sin uh, and the damage, that, uh, the damage and grief that comes through sexual abuse. Uh, and as I've been preparing this passage, I just can't believe how many stories uh, there are night after night on the news about these things. Uh, just this week, New South Wales has put in new laws uh, regarding sexual abuse. And uh, I heard these statistics on the news. One in five women will be victims of sexual abuse during their lifetime, and one in 20 men. Uh, and that is just way too many. Uh, and some of you here today have been victims of this. Uh, and I want to say I'm so sorry that those things have happened to you. And I'm so sorry that those who you should have been able to trust, uh, that should have cared for you, have let you down. Uh, and I'm sorry that even God's word today, as we open it up, might stir up uh, painful memories and emotions. Uh, but I want to assure us all that God is he's a good God. Uh, he's our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, and he gives us his word not to harm us, but to build us up. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for us all as we come to this part of God's word today. Will you pray with me? Oh, dear God, uh, you are our good heavenly Father. 
Your word speaks into our world of sin, uh, shining the light in the darkness, but not to crush us, but in order to heal us. Shine that light into our hearts, our lives today, uh, so that we can see and respond to the evil in our world and even recognise what's going on in our own hearts. And Father, we pray that we'll be able to respond with clarity and courage and conviction, but also that we can receive healing and hope from your love and grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, yeah, if you've got your Bible open to 2 Samuel chapter 13, uh, we're going to begin at verse 1. Uh, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, uh, son of David. So we've been following the story of King David, uh, events dating back all the way to 1,000 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And you might remember that David had a number of wives. Uh, so one of his wives gave birth to his firstborn son, Amnon. Uh, and another one of his wives bore another son, Absalom, uh, and a beautiful daughter, Tamar. And here's my outline today. I just want to begin with the abhorrent evil of Amnon, uh, followed by two questions. Who will love and protect Tamar? Uh, and what hope is there for David's kingdom uh, with all this evil going on? Now, I'm going to talk about Absalom later, but uh, I just wanted to mention the, the characters that I've chosen. So I've chosen Anne Hathaway to portray Tamar. Uh, and partly for me, it's just I remember watching Les Miserables, the movie, uh, and she portrays a beautiful young woman who is a victim of sexual assault. Uh, and it's just so harrowing and powerful. Uh, and so uh, she, uh, I've, I've chosen her to represent Tamar. And I chose Tim Roth uh, to portray Amnon uh, because he plays the role of evil men very well. And I didn't know this until this week, uh, but he himself is the survivor of sexual uh, abuse uh, that has been done to him. And part of the reason that he plays the role of evil people is because he wants to expose evil and kind of bring it to light. Uh, so uh, that there is Amnon. So we begin with the abhorrent sin of Amnon. <clears throat> Amnon has become obsessed with his half-sister, Tamar. But he can't, he can't work out how he can carry out his desires. How can he carry through on his feelings? He knows that the law forbids such a union. Uh, it, is, it is forbidden in God's word for a, a brother to marry a sister uh, or, or to have sex with. Uh, and there are palace protocols in place. Uh, David wants his family home to be a place of safety and joy. Uh, and so there is kind of protocols in place. Uh, and so... Amnon's just feeling stuck in the midst of his desires that he cannot fulfill. And he expresses his exasperation to his cousin in verse 4. He says, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. 
now tragically, Amnon has confused love for lust. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But as we'll see, there is nothing loving about the actions of Amnon that will follow. Amnon's cousin is an evil man. Uh, he comes up with a plan that enables Amnon to get around the palace protocols. Amnon pretends to be sick. He asks his father, King David, for permission uh, for the king's daughter, Tamar, to come and cook for him and feed him. It's a strange request, uh, and I, I, rec I reckon it ought to have aroused suspicion. Uh, you'd think David would be more aware of the kind of evil desires lurking under the surface of his son. Uh, but whatever the case, David allows it to happen. Uh, and when Tamar comes to his room, Amnon sends everyone else out. And, he, and verse 11, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Tamar is rightly horrified. She pleads with her brother. Verse 12, no, my brother, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where, where could I get rid of my disgrace? What about you? You will be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. She just pleads with him, but Amnon will not listen. He overpowers her, and then he rapes her. And then verse 15, Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, Get up and get out. And he bolts the door behind her. Now, I would say Amnon never loved his sister. Uh, listen to how God's word describes love. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, love always protects. Now you think about those words and you think about Amnon's actions and you just think at every point he does exactly the opposite of love, although he claims it is done in the name of love. <clears throat> now Amnon never loved Tamar. It was intense lust that he mistakenly regarded as love. But after he has taken so much from her, he disposed of her and then hated her and bolted the door behind her. And, and you think, where does this hate come from? You know, it's just such a, a, a violent swing from love and infatuation and obsession to hatred and loathing. Uh, is this his own shame, his own, <clears throat> his own self-loathing. Does, does she now remind him of his own guilt and his own shame? And so he wants to see nothing of her. Or does he now regard her as somehow defiled uh, and that image of perfection has been broken for him? Uh, but whatever the case, 
the outcome is just so tragic for Tamar. She's left grieving, ashamed, broken. Verse 19, she rips her robe, she puts ashes on her head and she weeps. Verse 20, she is a desolate woman. And yet, I hope you can see she has done nothing wrong. She is a victim of her brother's evil, selfish lust and desire and power. And so the question, who will love Tamar now? Who will protect her? Who will stand up for her? Who will demand justice be done on her behalf? Now, surely that should fall to her dad, who's not only her dad, <clears throat> her protector, but he's also the king. He's the one appointed by God to bring justice. Look at David's reaction in verse 21. When King David heard all this, he was furious. Full stop. He's rightly furious, but it's the full stop uh, that disturbs me the most. Because on its own, being furious is an inadequate response. He had not only failed to keep his beautiful, precious daughter safe in his own palace, but when she is raped, he fails to bring her justice. Uh, the, Old, the Old Testament makes it really clear, uh, and David was to read the, old, the, the law every day, and it makes it very clear that Amnon probably deserved death, uh, to be stoned to death, but if not, he certainly ought to have been banished and exiled from his people. I want you to have a look at this quote by Rachel Den Hollander. She says, It is easy to have that emotional response of, how could this happen? And be so angry about the abuse. But we need to translate that action, sorry, that emotion into action. Now, she wasn't talking about this passage when she said that. She was just talking about sexual abuse more generally. But can you see how they apply to 2 Samuel 13? David is furious, rightly so, but that on its own is completely inadequate. Why does David not stand up for his daughter? Is it his own moral compromise? You know, we just saw last week that he also was a victim or gave in to his own evil desires. Um, you know, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, and so is he kind of still dealing with his own guilt and shame and not decisively willing to bring justice against Amnon? Uh, or is it because Amnon was his firstborn? Um, you know, he loved Tamar, but he also loved Amnon, and maybe he loved Amnon more. And certainly Amnon represented more to David, because Amnon represented the kingdom, uh, the kingdom that God had promised would be a kingdom that would last forever. And so, so much of David's legacy is tied up with Amnon. 
Um, but whatever the case, I, I think David genuinely wanted to be loving and just at the same time. But in the end, he failed to do either. Um, in failing to deal with the sin of Amnon, I think it's unloving to Amnon. It's unloving to let a person just keep getting away with evil. Uh, but it's also completely unloving to Tamar, isn't it? He failed to love his daughter and he failed to bring justice on her behalf. Even though he was not only her dad, but his God-given responsibility was to take the law of God and apply it with justice. But he just couldn't bring himself to do it. He was too compromised and too prejudiced. As I've read this passage, I've reflected on our own protocols and policies as a church. Uh, and we've got clear policies for working with children uh, to keep them safe. We have a clear code of conduct for staff and ministry leaders. We have a policy about domestic violence. Uh, and they are good policies. But I want you to please pray that if the time comes for us to act on those policies, we will do so with courage and justice and impartiality and wisdom. Because David failed to hold justice and love together. And so he failed to love and protect his own daughter. Uh, just this week, a huge report was released uh, in the United States, uh, the largest evangelical denomination, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, 50,000 churches, 14 million members, uh, and a, a report was released on sexual abuse over the last 20 years. And the report details abuse, cover-up, silencing, even bullying uh, victims on a devastating scale. Uh, and here's another quote from Rachel Den Hollander as, she, as she's kind of responded to these things. Uh, she says, the most sobering part is that we should have known. And in many cases, we did know and did nothing. These are the consistent patterns we see across any institution. Uh, and uh, we've seen it in Australia. Do you remember that we've had that Royal Commission into, what is it, institutional response to child sexual abuse? But the point Rachel's making is that any institution has a tendency to become self-protecting and self-serving. Um, and that includes, so that you know, includes schools and sporting clubs and so on, but it also includes churches and denominations. Uh, and what can happen is that churches and denominations can fail to love and protect the victims of sexual abuse. Pray, please pray that we will do better uh, as a church community and, and as our denomination that we're part of. Uh, pray that we will love and protect everyone who comes into our church. Uh, yeah, really value your prayers for that. Who will love and protect Tamar? 
tragically not King David. Uh, So what about her brother Absalom? Verse 20, Tamon's brother, Tamar's brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, Amnon, your brother been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamon lived in her, her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. And when King David heard all this, he was furious. Full stop. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. See, Absalom's hate is a slow burn. I've chosen Liam Neeson to portray Absalom. When he was young, he had lots of hair. And Absalom is known for his you know, long flowing locks. But my first recollection of Liam Neeson was when he played Rob Roy in the movie Rob Roy. And there's a key part of the plot of that movie is he's seeking revenge for the rape of his wife. Uh, and uh, I just remember as a young man just being just profoundly I- impacted. Uh, and ever since, I haven't been able to watch that part of the movie. It was just kind of too disturbing. Uh, but it seems like that theme of revenge has defined the career of Liam Neeson ever since. There's a famous phone call in the movie Taken. Uh, Liam Neeson's daughter is kidnapped and he's on the phone talking to the kidnappers and he says this, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that will make me a nightmare to people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. It's just this potent, uh, potent phone call. Why are movies like that so popular? Uh, I don't know how many Taken movies there have been, but there's been uh, three or four... Um, Why are movies like that, movies of deep revenge? It's because in our hearts, we long for justice. It is a deep need in our hearts. And we live in a world where justice is so often denied, and that is painful and unsatisfying. We just long for a better world, don't we? A world where those in authority, this is the world we live in, those in authority fail to bring justice, so individuals feel compelled to take justice into our own hands and to seek revenge. And there is something satisfying about it. That is what Absalom does. His sister has been abused, her life destroyed. And King David does nothing about it. And so Absalom hatches a plan for revenge. He waits for the right moment. Two years he waits 
730 days he waits. And when the opportunity finally comes, he orders his men to kill Amnon. And they do it. And he's dead. And once again, King David's response is inadequate. He, he grieves over Amnon, but that's kind of all. Amnon flees, lives in exile for a further three years. He finally comes back, but it will be another two years before David will see his son face to face. Once again, David has love and justice as things that he's trying to hold together, but he can't do it. Uh, He himself had ordered his men to murder Uriah, and there's that kind of moral compromise in his own life. And he just doesn't know how to love his son and act justly at the same time. Can you see that that's at the heart of his inability to act? So next week, we're going to see how David's failure will set the scene for Absalom to rise up in a political coup. He will appoint himself king. Uh, he He will declare the nation that in the absence of justice from David, he is the one that can bring justice to the nation. But we will see that he turns out to be arrogant and godless and sexually immoral uh, on a grand scale. Uh, But that's next week. And all that raises our final question. What hope is there for David's kingdom? We had such high hopes for David. You know, remember back in, it wasn't too long ago, three weeks ago, uh, he had displayed love and justice. Remember we talked about loving kindness and justice, doing what is right and just. He was a king who was able to hold those two things together in a beautiful, remarkable way. And yet in his dealings with Bathsheba, and now with Tamar, he has utterly failed to hold love and justice together. But remember, God has already announced that the future is not about David himself, it's about David's son. The kingdom will rest on David's son. One of his sons will establish the kingdom in justice forever. And yet, David's firstborn, Amnon, he's clearly not the one. An evil man, driven by his own selfish desires, and he's now dead anyway. He's not going to be the one. And next in line, we have Absalom. And although he is a man passionate about vengeance, vengeance for his sister, he's not the one either. And we'll see that even more clearly next week. In fact, I can give you a really short rundown of the rest of the Old Testament, and that is none of the sons of David or their grandsons or great-grandsons will be the one. We will have to wait 1,000 years for the true son of David to, to enter the stage of our world, Jesus Christ, the perfectly just and loving king. And did you notice uh, how as Jesus does his ministry, the people recognize the fulfillment of the ancient prophecies 
Uh, so let me show you on the screen. Uh, this is from Matthew 2, the passage Ruth read out. Uh, as Jesus is doing his ministry, they, sh- they were thinking back to the prophecy of Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice, justice to the nations. He won't quarrel or cry out. Uh, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. So it's a picture of gentleness and tenderness. Uh, A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. So in his justice, he will also be gentle and kind uh, till he has brought justice through to victory. In In his name, the nations will put their hope And did you notice uh, the crowds then said, could this be the son of David? And we say, yes, absolutely. Jesus is the long-awaited son of David. And I just want you to notice the beautiful combination we see in Jesus. Justice and love perfectly brought together without any sense that either is compromised. Remarkable. Uh, humanly speaking, impossible. But uh, Jesus does it. Meekness and majesty, tenderness and power, and you see it no more clearly than on the cross where Jesus brings forgiveness to the world and yet the full weight of punishment against sin is dealt out. Complete justice and yet complete mercy at the same time. Now, I want to conclude by coming back to Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, When she stood before the judge and before her abuser in court, she was able to offer forgiveness to her abuser, and yet to implore the judge to bring the full weight of the law down on him at the same time, Uh, the maximum sentence. How is she able to hold mercy and justice together so courageously? It's because she's a follower of Jesus. She's seen it modelled in the Lord Jesus, and that enabled her to step forward in the same way. She's seen the way Jesus forgives sin, and yet the full weight of punishment against sin is handed out at the same time. During her appeal to the judge... Rachel repeated these words, How much is a young woman worth? How much is a little girl worth? And she said that phrase a number of times. And what she was saying to the judge very explicitly is, the verdict you give today will send a message not just to the little girls in this courtroom, but throughout the world of how much a little girl is worth. Uh, And if you skimp on your sentence, then you will send a message that little girls are not worth what they really are worth in God's sight. Now, before I pray, I want to show you a video of Rachel reading a little book uh, that she wrote for little girls. So she's wrote one for little boys as well, and I'll send you the the, uh, connections through the prayer and news. 
But this one's called How Much Is a Little Girl Worth? Uh, and so let's uh, watch and listen. How much, how much are you worth, precious girl? How much is a little girl worth? More than the sun and the moon and the sky, more than the shimmering sea, all of the beautiful treasures of earth, you are worth more than all that to me. You are beautiful, worthy, and you should be loved because of all that you are. Different from anything else in this world, you are precious beyond all the stars. You bear God's image, mind, body, and soul, lovingly made to be perfect and whole. You are worth fighting for, raising my voice, worth every sacrifice, every hard choice, worth changing laws, worth all the fight, worth whatever it takes to do what is right, worth more than money or trophies or fame, worth more than power or protecting a name, worth speaking loudly to shout what is true, worth whispering softly how much I love you, worth running this race fast, hard, and strong, worth dancing slowly to your favorite song, worth fighting for justice, worth standing alone, worth whatever it takes for your worth to be shown. How much, how much are you worth, precious girl? How much is a little girl worth? More than the sun and the moon and the sky, more than the shimmering sea, all of the beautiful treasures of earth, you are worth more than all that to me. Your value is found not in what you can do or the things you accomplish and win. It is found in how you were made, precious girl, created and cherished by him. Your worth cannot fade. It will not go away. It is not changed a bit by what happens today. No one and nothing can make you worth less. Just what is your value? You don't have to guess. No one has the power to change what God's done, and he says you're worth everything, even his son. Worth all the pain, worth great sacrifice, worth leaving heaven, worth giving his life. How much, how much are you worth, precious girl? How much is a little girl worth? Worth so much more than all my words can say. No one and nothing can take that away. I had to sit down because I, I haven't been able to watch that video this week without uh, tearing up. Uh, how much, how much is a little girl worth? Worth fighting for, worth changing laws, worth more than power or protect, protecting a name. Just what is your value? You don't have to guess. No one has the power to change what is done, what God's done. And he says you're worth everything, even his son. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. God, our Father, you are completely just and wonderfully merciful. We are grieved at the evil that is done in our world and we want to bring before you today our own sin, our self-centeredness. 
where we have failed to love and harmed others, please forgive us through the blood of Jesus and please change us. Remove all our selfish motivations and give us hearts of love and justice. Father, we pray your tender kindness on all who are here today who are victims of abuse. Please heal them. Please remove their shame. Restore joy to their hearts and lives and surround them with people who can love and protect them. We want to pray for our families, make our homes places of joy and safety. Uh, For homes that have been broken and damaged, we pray for healing, for helpful, honest, open conversation, uh, and for wisdom in moving forward. Father, we pray for ourselves, our church, and our denomination. Father, we want our church to be a place of joy and safety, of love, of brotherly, sisterly relationships that are right and good. Please give us courage to recognise and deal with abuse. We pray that we will never lose the horror at human evil, but also that we will take action, that we will do what is right and just in your sight. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our perfectly just and loving King. Amen.